This is episode 157 of the Relate Podcast on executing your vision with Luke Lehman. We are spending more and more time in the online world, looking through our screens and increasingly disconnected with those around us. But studies have proven that it's real life meaningful relationships that bring us the most joy and happiness. It's all about human connection and conversing with people from a variety of backgrounds. Worlds change when eyes meet. So let's sit down and relate. I am your host, Patrick McAndrew, and welcome to another episode of the Relate Podcast. As always, thank you so much for joining us for today's show. And I'm so happy that you are here because we have a great guest joining us for today's episode. His name is Luke Lehman, and Luke is a decorated fighter pilot, serial entrepreneur, investor, and transformation coach. With decades of experience leading high-performance and high-growth organizations, Luke has cracked the code on how to live with intentional alignment enjoying all the best that life has to offer while sustainably growing businesses across the globe. Luke has led multiple seven and eight figure businesses, as well as leading the highest performing organizations in the United States Air Force. So with all that said, you are in for an amazing episode with Luke. If you are interested in the world of business and entrepreneurship and how to elevate your career to the next level, this is the episode for you. Luke and I talk about Luke's experience working in the Air Force, working as a fighter pilot, and how that helped inform him as he entered into the business world and has worked as an entrepreneur and CEO. We talk about why it's so important to develop clarity and vision, why it's so crucial in our lives, whether it be in our businesses or our personal lives, to have a direction, to have a focus of where we're going, and why we must exercise the ability of decision-making and what that means for our lives. We also talk about why we must establish habits that are in line with the people that we want to become. We talk about how it's human nature to want to be valued, and Luke also expresses the importance of giving and practicing gratitude. This is an amazing episode. Head over to Apple Podcasts. Let me know what you think. So without further ado, let me please introduce today's guest of Relate, Luke Lehman. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Relate Podcast. Today, our guest is Luke Lehman. Luke, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Thanks, Patrick. Great to be here. I'm very excited to have you on this show. You have had this amazing career thus far. You worked as a fighter pilot. Now you are working in the business world, and I think you have a lot of valuable Uh, information to share with our listeners today. Just a lot of insight into, okay, how can we bring our best selves forward in this world, whether we're in business or whether we're in a different industry. On this podcast, we talk a lot about the relationships that we have with ourselves, Mm -hmm. with our work, as well as with each other. So I'm very excited to to have you on the show and to, to share your perspective. It's exciting, Patrick. Let's uh, let's get into it. Let's see how how deep we can go down this rabbit hole. 
<laughs> I agree. So I'm wondering if you could just uh, start off by sharing with our listeners just a, a little bit about your career as a fighter pilot and how you transitioned into the world of business. How has your experience as a fighter pilot helped you in the business world? Well, that's funny. In a little bit of reverse order, my brother once introduced me as a recovering fighter pilot, and I didn't know whether to laugh or uh, cry probably, but um, there, there's a lot of transition and a lot of similarities, both from flying jets and into the business world. It revolves a lot around decision-making and high performance, but by way of short biography, I did, uh, I went to college in central North Carolina at NC state university and went straight into, into the air force and in pilot training in Del Rio, Texas. So I spent about 10 years, you would like to say mastering the art, but it's really refining the science of what it takes to fly jets for those of you who actually, of your listeners who actually know fighter aircraft, I was actually an A-10 pilot, which is an attack aircraft instead of a fighter aircraft. So I won't uh, won't take the pointy nose uh, road all, <laughs> all the way there. And so what was that experience like? How long did you do that for before you entered into the business world? In total, about 14 years as an active officer in the Air Force, but I still continue as a reservist as well. So uh, I still carry the torch a little bit, though not in a flying capacity. Um, but realistically, it takes about three years. It's, we kind of consider it to be the license to learn before you're ever really even able to, um, to kind of to go fly on your own and certainly to carry out the mission. Wow, it's it, it's amazing, and you know, thank you for your service too as well. You know, it's it's something that I think a, a lot of people admire, but I think. A lot of people don't have that that courage and bravery to actually go and pursue it. And I imagine that that sort of mindset uh, transfers over nicely to the business world. And so what was it that inspired you to to pursue business after your time working as a fighter pilot with the Air Force? For me, it was a pretty natural evolution. The desire or the entrepreneurial spirit was always present in me. I can think back to being a 14-year-old pushing a lawnmower around the neighborhood, trying to make 20 bucks, which by the way, if you make 20 bucks an hour at 14 years old and whenever that was 1995, that's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, not, that's not half bad. Yeah. You can make a hundred bucks in a weekend, but I didn't have anywhere to spend a hundred bucks on. I remember going to the high school dance and it's like, what do I do with this? I said a lot of Snickers and you know, okay, I'm six <laughs> bucks into it. What am I going to do with the 94 now? Uh, entrepreneur, um, vibes and spirit was was always present in, in my family really generally uh, my dad was an entrepreneur um, so i've kind of kind of grew up with it so it was a natural transition for me into business ownership i did a short stay at delta airlines i thought that being an airline pilot sounded like fun until i became an airline pilot and realized that that was actually not a whole lot of fun for me but the similarities that you know across the the different modalities it's really about decision-making. It's about high performance and certainly the leadership that's required in a business environment. But there's also just a lot of crossovers and, and frankly, the sales and marketing component, which you really wouldn't think about. But, you know, I oftentimes as a pilot considered myself a customer service agent first and foremost before I was really, a, a, you know, a, a weapons dealer. Wow. Yeah. I'm wondering if you could dive into that a, a little bit more. How was your experience working in the Air Force like? As you said, you, you kind of learned these these business skill sets. Uh, in what capacity was that? I'll give you an example. There's one that kind of comes to mind. A lot of what sales and marketing is, is persuasion and influence. 
It's our ability to convince someone that the thing that we're offering them benefits them greater than the number of dollars that they presently hold. And in the military, there was no dollars that got exchanged, but, but be very well aware that there was something that was getting exchanged. And one of the things that I often think about in the aviation world is, so, so in the A-10 community, we, as, as I champion it, I never picked a fight, but I finished quite a few. And there's always somebody on the ground that we're talking to that is in some amount of duress. And what we found in the community was a lot of folks would match the energy, which when we talk about persuasion and influence is pacing. So if I show up on scene to someone who already has an elevated sense of confusion or um, is under a, a significant amount of stress or duress, and I then add to that by pacing them, then I am only exacerbating the situation. So as part of my persuasion and influence was a little bit of the frame control that says I'm here and you can now rest a little bit more assured that things are going to go well for you. But then in my communication with them, I was just trying to convince them of the things that I already knew. And I'll use the analogy to take it one step further as of a doctor. A patient still gets to choose the treatment that they're going to go through. They just go to the doctor because the doctor is going to offer them a little bit more counsel with a little bit more education and a little different perspective. And that's frankly all I did as a fighter pilot. I can do this. Maybe this weapon's a good choice, or perhaps we don't even need to shoot in this environment. Maybe we can do some other things. And one of the, one of the tools that we always employed was a low altitude show of force, which it turns out if you fly a fighter jet over somebody's head at 300 feet, that actually gets the point across just as well as some of the other components that we had in our tool bag. So wow. there's really a lot of similarities. I, it's still persuasion and influence. It's just a little bit different of a desired outcome. And was it your background, uh, I, you know, because it's actually, it's amazing to hear about these, the, the, the crossover and, and how that experience is applicable to what you're doing today. And is that a big reason why you specifically wanted to run a business uh, in aerospace and defense. I'm wondering if you could share with our listeners, I guess, what what is that that role as a CEO like for you? How do you enjoy it? What are some of the challenges? And how is it different, too, from your career as a fighter pilot? Well, there's certainly, so let's unpack a few of those things. First and foremost, that I believe that the key to individual personal wealth and freedom is through, through the entrepreneurial journey. So whether or not it's an aerospace and defense company or a manufacturing company, or they're all the same thing, is that the journey, this is, this is truly my belief in, in the world, is that the entrepreneurs are the, are the folks, or the workhorse, or the folks that turn the, the clock on our society. So that's, that's first and foremost for me. Second is being the CEO of an aerospace and defense company, there, there is, you know, in the aerospace and defense sector, there's some specific things or specific barriers to entry that would make it difficult for some folks to get into the entry or, or into the environment. You know, again, I use the analogy, if I wanted to go be a barber, I'm not really qualified to go be a barber right now, but I could probably get there. So there was a, a natural trajectory to continue inside the sector that I knew well. But in the third part of your question there, Patrick, being the CEO of an aerospace and defense company is no different than being the CEO of any service-based company. It's about driving culture inside the company. It's about um, leading people 
through uh, referent power base, that's a good word to look up, is getting someone to follow you, not because of your position, but because they believe in the way that you're going. And then taking a company on a high growth journey anyway, when you're growing 50, 60, 70, 100% year on year, lots of things change. And those, those systems and processes are really no different in an aerospace and defense company than any company in the United States and the small business front. Yeah, I, I really love how you were talking about uh, influencing the, or, the, you know, leading the people and, and helping to build the culture within the organization. I think just in, in my experience speaking with business leaders, that, that seems to be one of the most important, if not the most important aspect of leading a company, because in order to have people around you who are going to support your mission, they have to believe in you and the mission. And so, I, yeah, I just, I love how you were saying that. Yeah, culture, um, we all, every business has a culture. Every business has a brand. Whether or not you take time and intentionality in refining that, quantifying it, giving it a, na giving it a name, that's different. So, you know, for us, culture is extremely important. Our, our core values are extremely important. You know, the other thing that's important for young CEOs and entrepreneurs alike, uh, old CEOs, the business reflects significantly your own personal values. So a good example that I always bring up is philanthropy. If you are a philanthropic CEO, that is likely reflected in the culture of the business that you lead. Um, if you like high adrenaline supports, you probably are going to you know project that in there. So the business is nothing more than a reflection of a lot of the leadership in there. Uh, so I think it's important to refine and, and have some of those traits that are culturally ingrained in both you as a leader and you as a company. Yeah. And I think that that actually bridges nicely to this next topic that I wanted to discuss. I know something that you talk a lot about is about clarity and vision. And I think nowadays, you know, despite being in the world of the pandemic and as things continue to get better, I, I think that a lot of times people are confronted with a lot of different choices in their lives. I, th I think especially in the entrepreneurial space, there's this shiny object syndrome where if they have just the least, you know, the, the smallest amount of interest, they want to pursue it. But then people a lot of times find themselves overcommitted to various projects, various jobs, whatever it may be. So I'm wondering if you could talk with us about clarity and vision and why these are so important attributes to cultivate. I love your concept, shiny object syndrome. That happens so often. And one of the ways that I work through is that, you know, all things are possible. It all works. Literally, it all works. What doesn't work is a lack of commitment and a lack of action. Clarity is so extremely important for me inside both my own personal life and inside the business. One of the quotes that you'll hear me say often is a ship with no rudder is worse than a ship with no sail. And I believe that in the way that we run our businesses and setting forth a clarity, uh, setting forth the vision with clarity is, is truly the road to success. So an example that I use is, you know, when we just turn the engine on, let's go back to the boat analogy. If I just put the thing in gear and push it forward and I don't grab the steering wheel, it's going to move, 
it's going to move quickly, but there's no telling which way it's going to go. It's going to be controlled by the tide. It's going to be controlled by some of the energy inside the boat. It may be controlled by the weight of the passengers inside the boat. So as the CEO, the captain of the ship and at the helm, holding the line steady on the way that you're going to go to avoid those shiny object syndrome is extremely important. But what's also important is knowing where we're going to go. And that's where the vision comes in. So inside all of the organizations that I'm involved with, I make an, a specific intent to know where we're going to go in 10 years, five years, three years, and one year. And here's the analogy that I'll give you on that one, Patrick. If I set my intent for myself to be 300 pounds at the end of December, 2021, I know which way I'm going to go. I can eat bags of Doritos. I can make conscious choices to not get up and, and exercise. And I may not get there, but I bet you by the end of December, I can be 260 pounds and I can be lethargic and grumpy and my knees hurt and I'm not able to get off the, the, the couch. But when we put that together into a business statement, who cares? If I say I want to be a $20 million company and I only become a $16 million company, did I really fail? The vision is what we set is the, the outcome and it sets the playing field that we're going to operate on. So if I tell you that I'm growing this company to $50 million, what I'm foregoing is becoming a $5 million company and a $5 billion company. And the company then begins to act like a $50 million company. We don't have the flexibility of a $5 million company, but we're not as robust as a $5 billion company. And when you can have the clarity and you can champion that as the leader of the of the organization, it doesn't matter what organization it is, any organization. If you are the Patriots and you say that you're going to be the Super Bowl champs, we know which way we're moving and we begin to move in that direction. Yes. Oh, this is so important. I hope all our listeners tuning in are, are really listening carefully. And I love too how this this idea of developing clarity to execute a vision is not only applicable to business, but also to our individual and personal lives as well. I think that it really allows people to have a direction. And I guess with that said, is that not to say that there, you know, one's direction can't change over time? I guess just the most important thing is to have a direction. Of course it changes. It changes every day. And, and, one of the important things I think to realize about life is life only has one finish line. Most of us don't get to choose that finish line. You know, something's going to happen at some point in our life that we're going to choose that the, the finish line will be chosen for us. The difference is that we all have choices each day about what that starting line looks like. And as we move through life, we make better choices with better decision. Choice is another very fun word that you mentioned there along with opportunity. We all have a choice to take the information that we applied to seek more information, to use our experiences and our failures as feedback instead of viewing them as limitations for our future success. And I'll, if I take that all the way out to forever, if I were to apply the same concepts through the lens of seven-year-old Luke, I believe there would be a lot of limiting beliefs around what I could do with myself. I certainly wouldn't believe that I could ever go fly an airplane. But take that forward to 40-year-old Luke. What does that look like? 
What things do I still think the environment is limiting me from that are really not true constraints for me? So that's really, as I think about that in each day, as I think about what does this starting line look like today and what are the biggest things that I can accomplish and swing away at today and then knowing that tomorrow is only going to be bigger than today and it's going to be bigger than yesterday. Yes. <laughs> I that, that really resonates with me a lot is, you know, having a long-term vision, of course, is important, but to make sure that you, you know, tackle and, and work towards that vision one day at a time to tackle each day as it, as its own in a lot of ways. And, and I would love to, to, to kind of from that, uh, to discuss, uh, your philosophy behind habits and goals. I know this is this is something that you talk about in your work, and it, it from what I've read, uh, you know, when I was researching on you, that it's something that resonates with me a lot, and I think would be great to share with our listeners. So, so what is your philosophy behind setting goals and and establishing habits? Don't misconstrue the fact that goal setting is not important to me. Goal setting is extremely important for me. But what, what that boils down to, and I'll go back to my, my weight analogy here, a very uncomfortable exercise, and I encourage all your reader, readers to do this or listeners to do this. Write your eulogy. Start with the end in mind. When someone else is going to read and you are no longer there, what your life was about, you write that. I don't want to leave it up to someone that I may not even know yet to try to eulogize what my life was about. For me, it's very simple. It's about health. It's about keeping my body in the best physical shape, mental shape, emotional shape, spiritual shape that it can be in that's going to increase the longevity on this world. It's about generating wealth, which is generational wealth, so that I'm going to leave my children better in a world than I found it. And then most importantly, it's about relationships. And then there's some other values that come up for me. So um, one for me is excitement, fun, play, joy. You know, those are things that I try to seek on a daily basis. But here's what's important about habits. If I know where I'm going, I don't know when the end's coming. You know, hopefully it's 40 or 50 years from now. But I begin to then think in my own personal life the same way that I do in my business. What does 10 years look like? Five years, three years, one year from now. And then I write that down. I'll show you. It's in a journal. I wrote down what one year from now life will look like. And then I break that all the way down into the habits that I need to form today. So what do I need to be in order to have the actions that I need to do and get the results that I want to have? So in order to have the things that you want in your life first, you have to be the thing that's going to, to get those things that you want to do and have. So let's go back to the analogy. I may not view myself as a 300 pound person yet, but I could get there. Well, what if I want to be a triathlete? I may not yet be able to run the distance. I may not be able to swim or bike the way that I want to, but here's the habit. A lot of people find themselves in this midlife as they say, you know, I can't go out there and run 13 miles. Well, you may not be able to run 13 miles, but what can you do today? And there's, there's a lot of statistics associated with how much time it takes to establish a habit. You know, some people say 20, I think it's average is like 67. If I put my shoes on 
every single day. And that's the only thing that I can commit to. If I put on running shoes every morning, I'm establishing a habit that says that my identity is that of an athlete. And then if the only the first thing that I can ever do is walk down the street, run a half a mile, run one mile. If I run one mile 67 times, I will then have the habit that backs up my belief and my identity of being a runner. So I'm not asking people to make over, don't commit to running 13 miles. Just commit to putting your shoes on. And when you have your shoes on, you'll be in the mindset of the habit that backs up your belief and identity. Yes, uh, it's so important, so important. This this reminds me of a, a great book, which I'm sure you've read called Atomic Habits by James Clear, which is exactly what you're saying. It's, it's all about becoming the person who you want to be in the long run through the habits that you are establishing in your life on a on a micro level on a day-to-day basis. And uh, yeah, that that resonates with me so much because it's it's really about doing small things every day that over time compound into much larger things down the road. And I think that pairs nicely with what you were talking about earlier about executing a vision and having clarity and direction with where you want to go. If you establish those habits to be able to that are so that they're in line with that direction and with who you are and with who you see yourself as, I imagine it's much more likely that those goals down the road will be met. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things, and you didn't ask, but I'm going to offer, I see in all, all high performers, CEOs, professional athletes, one of the things that they share is an attitude of gratitude. And I didn't just make that up, right? The little colloquialism there. Um, Each morning, I start the morning off with gratitude. I write down three things, no matter how small, no matter how big. But the most important thing of the mindset is I start the day being thankful for the things that I already have and the places that I want to go. And instead of waking up and, you know, the worst thing in the world and anybody, any high performance mentor or coach or athlete or leader will tell you the absolute worst thing to do in the morning is what? Check social media. If you wake up and you check your phone, you check your email, you're already starting the day off with the wrong mindset. Leave that thing, put that thing in a drawer somewhere. You don't need that. It'll be there for you when you, when you wake up in a few minutes, but write it down, put it into your journal and have some gratitude for the things. And if you start your day like that, there's a high chance that the habit that we talked about will continue and you will face the day with gratitude. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, it's This is so important. I love what you're saying, Luke, because it, it's establishing habits in your life, like like you know practicing gratitude in the morning and, and a lot of the other things that you were saying that you know it's establishing these habits that are really going to set you up well to to win for the day it's not about being you know having this this lofty goal like you said it's not about running 13 miles and saying okay that's what i need to do even if that's the long-term goal it's much more about like you said putting your shoes on in the morning and and making that decision and that leads me to the, to the next point I wanted to discuss. We talked very briefly about this towards the beginning of our conversation, but I would love for you to dive uh, deep into uh, decision-making and why decision-making is so important. We are talking 
uh, a bit before about why we must have clarity, why we need to have a specific direction. But I think there's a lot of people out there and, you know, a lot of people who tune into the show as well, who sometimes they have a, a difficult time making a decision because they're not sure if it's the right decision. And because of that, then they end up making no decision. So I'm wondering if you could you could talk about this a little bit. Why is it important for us to make a decision and how can we go about making decisions more often in our lives? There's some real bad news associated with that. And the bad news is that there really isn't a right outcome. Right is so subjective. I can take almost anything and reframe it to a positive intent. One of the, one of the things, you, you look at people who commit crimes. If I were to view someone who stole from me as being right or wrong through my frame or through the frame of the court of law, they would say that that is wrong. But was it wrong for that person? What if that person didn't have food for their three-year-old and they stole money from me to feed their child? Was that wrong or was that right? Because as we move up the levels of priority and identity and beliefs, it may not have been wrong for that person. The right or the wrong is only the story that we tell ourselves through the lens and the experience of our own lives. So about decision-making, I'll give you an example. My wife and I are going to take a long vacation this summer, 40 years old. Here we are. I'm 39 and change. I'll be 40 this summer, and we're going to take a long vacation in July. It's April at the time, yeah, April at the time of recording for this. And we have not yet made a decision. Why is because we are concerned about what is right. Will we miss opportunities? Will we get it more right or more wrong? And I think that's the, the biggest fear that people have in decision-making and commitment is that of a missed opportunity. But if you view it through the frame of all things are feedback and there are no failures, if I go to Yosemite instead of Yellowstone, I may learn some things about myself. I'll tell you a funny camper story here at some point about feedback versus failure. But when we view it through decision-making, what a lot of entrepreneurs, high-growth leaders, you know, sales professionals, they get stuck in this analysis paralysis. And the fear is that they're going to miss out on something. If I'm closing, a, I may close a transaction for a million dollars and I may be fearful of closing it and not want to make the decision because what if I could sell, let's take real estate agents. Could I sell this house for $1.1 million? If I view it through an outcome frame or through a feedback frame, there are no failures and there is no right or wrong. So in decision-making, here's, I boil it down this way. If I ever have to interview for a job, again, in the, in the future, and someone says, Luke, what do you bring to this team? I say, I make decisions that are 90% correct with 80% of the information. And I truly do believe if you move forward, knowing that you're going to do the best that you can today, you're going to get a new opportunity tomorrow. They have always been there. Your life is nothing but a series of anecdotes that proves to you that the next day provides you more opportunities than the last. So that's the true piece of decision-making that I would recommend. Don't look for 100%. Take the 80%, apply your life lessons, and do your best to have a 90% correct answer, unless you absolutely are convicted that you need a 100% correct answer. 
which I can't really think of any off the top of my head. <laughs> uh, that, that that's uh, some very valuable information because you're you're absolutely right when it comes to decision. Uh, yeah, it makes so much sense that there's no such thing as a right decision; that it is very subjective, and and because of that, in a lot of ways, there's no way we could achieve 100. <laughs> percent You know, when we make a decision, because there there's no way that that we could see into the future of what that decision is going to amount to. And as you mentioned, no matter what decision you make, you could always find some some good in there. There's absolutely every decision, every belief has a positive intention behind it, no matter how bad or how good. I, I do talk a lot about belief and belief structures. And when I fully form a belief is it comes from a place of positive intention. Uh, for those studiers of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it may be a very basic need, but we're always looking for safety and security. So if I'm fearful of doing something or hesitant to do something, it's likely preserving one of my most basic needs. So bungee jumping. While I may, ex I may experience exhilaration, the cost, the intention is preservation of my safety. So my beliefs associated with bungee jumping are rooted in positive intention. And it's almost true of all, you know, most inherently people wake up each morning with the intention of making good decisions. Nobody says today I will intentionally make a bad decision <laughs> Sometimes we do, right? But that's right, right. That's not usually intentional. Yeah, I, I, I think that you, you brought up a really good point too about opportunities, and that, and that when you you make a decision, regardless of what the outcome may be, so long as your your intention is positive, that there are going to be opportunities, you know, down the line. Whether, like you said, they they, they might come tomorrow. And there's there's something that that you uh, have said in in you know some of the the materials you shared with me that that you talk about working yourself out of a job, and I would love for you to explain what you mean by that for our listeners. There's a lot of pride in authorship, and a lot of everybody right. We want to think human nature wants to be valued. We want to think that our position and our relevance to the world is significant. And it is. And it should be. But true team building comes when you realize that your ability to share that information and to make yourself less relevant. I'm not trying to actually not be the CEO of the company. But if I want to go take two weeks on vacation... The company should be able to function without me. I should not be the linchpin of the company. So I make it a daily task to share as much information as humanly possible. They won't reach the same decision that I reached. Of course not. They're different people. But if I give them the tools and the resources and I adequately equip them, Sir Richard Branson says, train people so well that they can leave treat them so well that they don't leave. And, and I think that is such an important component of it. But we all try to hold onto our rice bowl like it's ours to keep. Newsflash, none of it's yours. Not this structure that I'm in, not the car that I drive, not even this body. It was loaned to me for a very short period of time. It's not yours. Be free with it, share it, give it, 
And then more great news for everyone here is that the more you give, the more that you receive. I, I truly do challenge it. Try truly. Just give away $100 and show, show me that the universe doesn't give that $100 back to you in some capacity. Give freely of your time and energy. I thought through this yesterday, Patrick. This is a, actually, it's a great time to discuss it. I give freely of my time and energy and I expect nothing in return. And I just kind of thought through that yesterday as I was walking my daughter home from school. There was a young child whose chain had come off the bike and the mother was trying to get the bike Put back together. And I, you know, kind of ch chucking, chuckingly, jokingly, I said, do you need a dad? Do you need a stand in dad? Can I help you put that chain back on the bike? But I helped them freely of my time and energy. And, and most of your listeners would all do the same. Of course, you would help someone put the chain back on the tight uh, on the bike, change a tire. We would all do that. But what about your money? Do we give freely of our money? So we'll all give freely of our time. What about your money? Will you give someone who needs some of your money? And I think that's such an important concept is to, to give so freely. And if you do it, you're going to find that you really can't outgive because the universe is going to return to you in multiple times what you've given to it. Yeah, I, I, I really love uh, what you're saying, and not only about giving, but but the importance of, of recognizing that that what it is we we have or what it is we give is not necessarily like ours, like what you were saying. That you know, it's it's contributing to something greater. Uh, it's it's contributing. It's it's a a communal effort. Whether it's you, you know you're you're building a company with a small team of people. Whether it's you know putting together a, a piece of art, maybe a a production, a television show, whatever it may be. It's, you know, it's towards a, a greater mission. And yeah, I, I love I love what you were you were saying about that. And I'm wondering, just given all of this, this valuable information, you know, talking about giving and sharing, you've given and shared so much with us today. And and, you know, given your your career and your experience thus far and also looking ahead, I'm wondering if you could share with us what you've learned about your relationship to yourself through your business career, as well as your relationship to other people that you've either worked with or, or perhaps in your, your personal life as well. Two things come to mind off the top. The first is the quality of your life is determined by the quality of the questions that you ask. And your relationships will be better when you learn to ask better questions. One of the words that I would like to eradicate from the dictionary is the word why. Why elicits such negative response. If I said, why'd you do that, Patrick? You know, you begin to search for reasons why you did something wrong. If instead of asking why, I say, Patrick, tell me how you were feeling when you made that decision. When you made that decision, what did you hope to gain from that? What impact did you hope to have on others? What personal responsibility did you take from that? When I ask better questions, I get better answers and my life is in turn better. But here's the, here's the component of it that I would tell you at, at truly 40 years old, midlife, right? Maybe just short of midlife. <laughs> There's constant feedback and constant failures and constant challenges in all components of life and how we view those things is extremely important. 
I believe that high performance leaders become better when they open themselves up to continuous feedback and continuous learning. We get continuous feedback from all over the place. I don't always want to hear my wife's feedback, but it's probably very good reflection of what's going on in my life. And here's the thing about blind spots. You can't see them. That's the whole point of it being called a blind spot. So as a, as a professional, I believe in coaches. I pay for coaches. I, you know, having people around me, I, have, I, I surround myself with employees, executives that will challenge my thoughts and give me feedback on the things that I think because I want them to challenge them, not in a disrespectful manner. I wouldn't give nor expect to receive feedback in a disrespectful manner. But I look for those blind spots. Um, and I have them right now. You know, what is it that I cannot see? The real enabling thing is that when you realize that the majority of the problems that you hope to solve already exist, the solutions with inside you, you already know them. You just need to uncover them. You need to arrange the puzzle in such a way that it looks like a picture instead of pile of puzzle pieces. And we do that by having strong mentors, advisors, coaches, um, you know, and that's the, the component, the last component of that is I, I believe that people come in your life in phases for acts. Um, my wife's going to stick around, Lord willing, if she wants to. <laughs> um, but, you know, think about it. My kids, my kids are going to fly the coop here in a few years. At some point, they're going to leave the house and they're going to they're going to need less of me and I'll be available more for someone else. We all come in phases. So as a high performance leader, mentor, I believe that you need to find folks sur that surround you that can hold the mirror up to you and hold the flashlight up to you to show you what you cannot see for yourself. Wow. <laughs> Luke, this is, this has been great. I, I think that our listeners are going to walk away from this episode. Having learned a lot, you, you gave us so much information too of, of ways that, that we could implement some of the things we talked about in today's episode in our lives. So I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to join us on the Relate podcast and, and for not only taking the time, but I also really appreciate the work that you're doing as well. You know, you've you've had this amazing career, both as a, a fighter pilot and working as a, a CEO at, uh, you know, this aerospace and defense company. And you are also helping people get to the next level in their lives as well. You're, you're helping people with, with business mindset and high performance and, and really helping people discover more about themselves and their potentials. So, so I can't thank you enough for that. Yeah. I appreciate you having me today, Patrick. Great, uh, great teeing up some of those questions there. It was a fun discussion and I, you know, I look forward to staying engaged with your listeners and you as we continue the year. Yeah, where can our listeners find out more information about you and your work? I'm easy to find on the internet. I'm on most social medias, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, but most easily LukeLayman.com will point you in some directions. I do have a lot of free resources for folks to kind of think through some of these things. So uh, I encourage you to engage with me. And there's a contact form on there that'll give you my personal email address. So if you want to send me an email, please do. Perfect. Well, I'll make sure to include the link to that in our show notes. So listeners out there, all you have to do is Click that link and you'll be right where all of Luke's information is at. So Luke, I have one last question for you before we part ways today. I'm wondering how you believe we as a society can better relate to one another. I already kind of teed it up for you is we ask better questions. You know, we, we human nature 
want to be heard. We want people to listen to us. If you can relate with just one ounce of empathy and realize that the other person on the other side of the conversation also wants to be heard, you can do that by asking better questions. And I challenge you just today in your, as you're listening to this and you're thinking about it, don't ask the question why. Find another reason, what, how, when, where, and, and reframe the question into something that actually gets to the belief behind the thing that someone is telling you. If someone says, I'm gonna be late because my kids didn't brush their teeth, ask them, what specifically does that mean for you if you're late? Tell me more about what your day looks like. Ask those deep questions, and I assure you that you're gonna get better answers and you're gonna relate closer to the people that you want to relate with. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Relate. You can let me know your thoughts on this episode by going to Apple Podcasts and leaving me a review. Or if you have the Anchor app, feel free to call in and leave a voicemail. I would love to hear from you. You can support this podcast by clicking the link in the show notes. Thank you so much again for tuning in, and I'll catch you all in the next episode.